at the concept of returning to slavery, and the reason we get that is because that's where Paul goes with this text. Uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through four eleven, a return to slavery. And, you know, in our idea of slavery, there's a much different idea of slavery in the Bible. And so I want to spend a few minutes up front explaining the difference. In the scriptures, the term slave or slavery is used to denote a bondservant or servant but it was never, ever, ever condoned in the idea of a world's understanding of slavery. In the scriptures, no one is ever treated as an object to be uh, kidnapped or stolen or sold and forced into service of someone else. But there was the idea of allowing someone to sell their services as a means of earning money, much like we understand employment today, which oftentimes can feel like similar slavery, especially when you have ADD and you had to record every six minutes what you were doing on a tax return. Okay, that's in the past. I'm going to let it go. But uh, So you can uh, understand the idea of selling your service to provide, uh, or if someone was in debt and they couldn't pay their debt, they faced uh, death penalty, and so they were told, or you could be an indentured servant, you could sell your service to work off that debt, the only time it was uh, involuntary was a criminal could have been forced to, uh, to serve off uh, time for his crime. Uh, then, obviously, this the concept of the world's understanding of slavery, which we see throughout history in all societies, the abuse of others or the, the treating others like objects, though they're human beings made in the image of God, um, every country in the world uh, right now has laws against slavery, yet there's at least 12 million and more likely up to 27 million people in the world today are enslaved. Um, and sadly, the majority of those are women and children. Millions and millions of women and children today are sold into slavery. Children used as soldiers um, and children and women used in the sex industry forced into that lifestyle and sold, uh, treated like objects and abuse. So imagine if Dana and I met a child who was in that situation and we picked that child up, figured out what was going on, paid the price to the, to the person to say, we're taking this child, and we redeemed them from that slavery. How awesome would that be? But not only that, but then we said, now we're going to do the legal paperwork and we're going to make this child our own child. We're going to bring them into our family. We're going to pour our love into the life of this child. And this child is going to be a full heir of, of our estate, our massive estate. You know? But, um, I mean, imagine the, uh, the uh, amazing grace that would be shown to that child and the transformation, the difference in that child's life. And that's why adoption is so beautiful and wonderful. In our text today, that's exactly what we see going on. What Paul is saying has happened to believers. Uh, he says over and over the idea of being an heir. In review, if you'll remember, uh, he has been talking about the idea of being enslaved to the law, and he explained, let's, let's review real quick what's been going on in his gospel. The first few books, he, the first few chapters, he's been saying, listen, my message is true because it came straight from Jesus. He said, I got it from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. I didn't get it from the other apostles. 
Though later I met with the other apostles and found out we had gotten the same message from Jesus separately. And so there's a ring of truth to it. And so believe my message. And then he's been the last middle two chapters of the book saying, well, here's the message. Everyone is saved by faith in the seed of Abraham. His name is Jesus Christ. You inherit the righteousness of God by being a son of God, by being placed with the Son of God by faith. That seed of Abraham is Jesus. He was the son of Abraham. He is the son of God with a capital S. And we become children or sons of God with a small s by putting our faith in him. And then the logical question last week was addressed. Well, then why in the world did God give the Mosaic law to Israel? He says, well, that was because of Israel's sin. Israel was sinning. They were already uh, the people of God by faith. But when they sin, God gave them laws and instructions to protect them, to keep them from killing each other, and to give them the, a way of displaying the glory of God through their lives of obedience. And so that was a temporary measure until Christ would come. When Christ comes, you put your faith in Christ. He puts the, the law inside your heart, internalizes it by the Spirit of God. So now they don't need that law anymore. And now we see today he's going to explain further to these Galatians. So you have been enslaved. Now you've been set free. Why would you go back to slavery? That's what we're going to look at today. Let's ask the Lord for his help this morning. Lord, we need your help this morning because I know how it is. Uh, those days that I'm not preaching and I'm not studying this word and thinking so much about it and praying so hard, I'm not nearly as prepared for this moment. And so I know that the people here today could very easily just be going through ritual. And we don't want that, Lord. We want all of us to be uh, spiritually prepared and encounter you speaking to us this morning and making a radical difference in our life. We need you to do that, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so... We're going to work through Galatians 3, verse 26 through uh, 11, 4, 11, uh, but we're going to work it in pieces a little bit at a time. And so, in verse 326, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. And so, his main point is reminding them, believers, those who are believers in Christ, who were living in Galatia, he says, Hey, I want you to remember something. You are all sons of God. How could you go back to slavery? You're sons of God. And he's, he's just reminding them because really that truth is what should rock our world the rest of our life. You are a son of the creator. You know, when you read the Bible, oftentimes we get to Genesis 1-1 and all the creation account and we want to fight and fuss about evolution, about creationism, about all that stuff and we're missing the point. What the author's doing in Genesis 1-1 is saying, here is Abraham's father. And if you are in faith, you are meeting your own father. This is your spiritual father. He's the creator of the universe. And he's your father. You're a son of God if you've placed your faith in Christ. And then he says in the rest of the text, there's two massive implications, two tremendous blessings. First of all, when you put your faith in Christ as a son of God, you become a member of the family of God. And we'll look at that. And then he says, secondly, if you're a member of the family of God, you're a son of God, you are no longer a slave. You've been redeemed and adopted 
You're, you're a child of God and you have, are an heir to his eternal estate. And so let's work through those two massive blessings. First of all, being a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ means that we become a part of a loving family of faith. Verse 27 and 28, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one singular in Christ Jesus. When he's talking here, he starts out plural. You all, y'all are all sons of God, but y'all are not any longer Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. He says, now you are singular one. Y'all ain't y'all anymore. Y'all are you. You are one in one Christ. All of us walked up in this room, unbelievers, and then we came to faith in one Christ who stood at the front of this room. And when you became faith in Christ, you became united with Christ. You became one with one Christ. You are now a part of the one body of Christ. You are no longer simply an individual unbeliever. And when you became in faith, when you became united with Christ, you were no longer simply a, a, a single, solo, personal believer out there sitting in that chair by yourself. When you put your faith in Christ, you were immersed into Christ. There's one Christ, so all of us are immersed into one. We are now one, the body of Christ. So, he says, this is what happened when you put your faith in Christ. When you were immersed in Christ, you were immersed into, you clothed, you put on the clothing of Christ. And there's only one Christ, so there can only be one body of Christ. And he uses this language of immersion, which we immediately think of as baptism, and it's transliterated in many Bibles, baptized. You were baptized into Christ. Now, whether Paul was speaking about water baptism or not, the point is very clear. And the point is what we are making when we do baptism by immersion. The word baptizo in Greek literally means immersion. It's the same idea of baptizing a cloth in the purple dye. When it comes out, it's covered in the dye. It's immersed into the dye. And when it comes out, it's completely different. Yet it's still a cloth. So we don't lose our identity when we are immersed in Christ. But we become more than our identity. Our self, our individualism, we become the body of Christ. And so in baptism, when you join the church, we baptize, we baptize you by immersion. You're saying, first of all, I personally believe in the death, burial, and resurrection as the only hope of being made right or cleansed of my sins. But we also know there's another aspect going on. And the reason it's required for membership is that being immersed into Christ, you are being immersed into this body. That's why we take membership very seriously. We treasure the gift that God has made, membership in the body of Christ. And so those who are joining us, they sign a covenant saying, yeah, we become one. I no longer live separate from the body of Christ. That when I took on Christ, I took on the body of Christ. And so we baptize by immersion, saying you have immersed in the dye, the crimson self-denial dye of Christ. And so something radically transforms, that radically transforms all of our relationships. And so when you and I come in, you're no longer uh, Jew or Greek, that's ethnicity. 
You're no longer clinging to the law of righteousness based on self-righteousness. You're no longer Jew or Greek. You're no longer slave or free. You're no longer male and female. All of that is transformed in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means the abuses, first of all, the abuses that we see in the world of that are transformed. But this is not a liberation theology. A liberation theology says that, that no longer is there uh, hard work, master, slave. There's socialism. That's socialism theology. Or liberation theology tries to achieve a, a superior race, a superior ethnicity. That's not what the gospel's teaching. Or a liberalism gospel that says that there's no male-female distinctions anymore. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul says very clearly that when we are in Christ, that we are transformed. And what he means is that the sinful abuses of those relationships are done away with. And now we are dyed in the self-sacrificial love. The crimson color of Christ means that when you and I are brought together, I lay down my life with radical grace to bring healing to you the way Christ did for me. And you do the same for me, that we no longer live separate, individual Christian lives. We're not just psychologically sharing in a oneness, we like the same music, or we share in the same teaching, but spiritually, we are united because we're all children of God. We're one in Christ. And so what we see happening is very similar to what you see in the Old Testament. Bear with me now and follow this logic that God saved by faith in the son of Abraham, right? And then what did he do for them? He said circumcision will set the faithful apart. So those who had faith of Abraham were circumcised and set apart. And then he gave them the law and said those who are of faith, having been set aside by circumcision, will display my glory through obedience to this law. So you see God's plan from the beginning? Set apart by faith, mark that out with circumcision, live to my glory through obedience. And now what he says, when Christ came, here's the new formula. Set apart by faith still, that's what makes you the people of God. Mark that out with baptism or immersion into the body of Christ. And live in obedience, spirit-filled obedience to the glory of God. It's not a new plan, it's the same plan from day one. But now, instead of the law being something written on stones, the Spirit of God, by faith in Christ, writes it on our heart. And now, instead of the presence of God being out there in the temple or the tabernacle, He's inside of me because Christ has dealt with the wrath of God forever, takes away the sin so that Christ can dwell in me. So as the children of God, immersed into one Christ... Bonding together, sacrificially and humbly, loving each other and extending the extravagant grace of God to one another, we display the glory of God to the nations that they may come to faith. But imagine a slave being out there without hope, being out there without love, being out there just desperate, being told that God when you place your faith in Christ, has adopted you. He didn't just leave you hanging out there saying, I hope it works out well for you. He says, and you're going to become a part of my family. And when you become a part of my family, you've got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that love you, and they got your back. And they're going to lay their life down to love you. And as you do this, people are going to want to be a part of this family.
So the first incredible blessing of being in Christ by faith is being in the family of God by faith. We are immersed into one Christ, which means we are immersed into this body. And we get the, when we get the gospel right, we're all on the same humble grounds of grace. Same humble grounds of dying to give each other, bring each other healing and blessing the way Christ did for us. We're freed from religious self-righteous judgmentalism that divide us. We're freed from the ethnic barriers because we are all from the same bloodline of Jesus. We are free from economic barriers of social class because we're all brothers and sisters and servants of our master Christ. We're freed from gender abuse because we are all made in the image of God, male and female. This is the love that marks us out as the disciples of God. This is what will bring your neighbors to Christ. He says, by your love, Will they know me? The first challenge is, if you are a believer and you're not connected to the body of Christ in membership, I want you to join this church. And it's not for numbers. You know us better than that. It's not for numbers. It's not for size. It's not for what we can get out of you. But it's because God wants that for you. It's God's plan to reach the nations through saving sinners, bringing them together and turning them into very loving, sacrificing people. And when we do that in the name of Jesus, other people go, man, that's something different. We don't have the right to sit out and personally live our private Christian lives in isolation of the body. Yes, it is a great sacrifice to commit to a church especially this church. It is a great sacrifice to say, I will be in this church. I will come to community group. I will serve the body of Christ. I will commit to growing in, the, in Christ. But that's God's plan. And I promise you, that's what's best for every one of us. We think we want to be isolated. We think we want freedom, but we don't know freedom until we have laid our life down. And then we find life. That's the plan of God. And it's what's best for each one of us. And so I invite you, if you're not going to join this church, then join a church for your own good and for the glory of God. We also see not only is the great blessing of being one in Christ or faith in Christ being in the family, but we also see the blessing of being a child of God is that each one of us now has a loving Father who gives us His full inheritance. Look at verses 29 through verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we... While we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which were by nature no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, and we'll stop there. First point Paul is making here is that every single one of us at one time in our life was enslaved to something. Every single one of us was enslaved, whether regardless of race, regardless of money or or economic situation or gender, every single one of us was enslaved before we came to Christ. First, he talks about the Jews. He says the Jews, even the right believing faithful Jew was enslaved to the law. Now, if he had put his faith in Abraham's prom- the promise God made to Abraham, he was righteous by faith, but he still had a barrier to his full enjoyment of all those benefits like a trust. This is the example Paul uses. It's like, a, it's like if you have a, a, the blessing of being an heir of an estate, yet that all that has been placed into a trust... Where your father says, you have all this, this is yours, but you can't get access to it until you're 36 years old. It's all yours, but until, you're, until the time your father has set arrives, you don't have access to it. And so until then, you're just like the other slaves. You're just like the other servants of the house. You don't have access to all the full benefits of, of being a son. Well, even a believing Jew was in that situation that he could not fully access all that God had for him until Christ came and fulfilled the law. So he says this is the way it was for the Jews, that when Christ came, he filled the, filled the, uh, the demands and the requirements of the law, he fulfilled the law, and he, all who were in faith in him were filled with the Spirit of God, and all the law was, was internalized in their heart, and they were set free from the bondage of the external law. So he says, well, what about those who aren't Jews? And look at verse 8. At verse 8, he talks about everyone who was not in, uh, did not even know about God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. And so even unbelieving Jews who did not believe in God or the Gentiles who did not know about God, he says all who are not in Christ are enslaved to their ignorance of God. The scriptures speak about such ignorance. It says you did not know God. And now it says you, that you, do not, you were not known by God in this special way. And so those who did not know God, what did they do in the Old Testament? They turned to idols. Dead, mute, blind, deaf, dumb idols. That's the way the scripture describes it. They picked up their gods and they carried them wherever they were so that they would do something for them. It's a picture of foolishness. You know, I've had the great privilege of talking to someone who recently has started grasping the gospel of grace. And it's been a joy. Gone his whole life, he says, man, when I was nine years old, I prayed to receive Christ, but I didn't get it. I didn't understand. And the way he describes it is, is just amazing. It just leaps off of scriptures, this pattern of, of despair and idolatry that it leads to. He says, you know what? At first I was excited. I asked Jesus into my heart. And then the next day I maybe sinned twice. The next day sinned three times. The next day sinned three more times. And so now I've got eight sins to deal with. 
And he says, finally, it got to the point where I just realized I'm still sinning. I'm not doing good here. I'm doomed. I'm not keeping up with what I need to do to keep God happy with me. And so finally, he says, I got to the point where I was desperate and I just said, forget it. And once you just kind of say, forget it, then he says his own words, then I'm desperately looking for something to feel worth. You know, how, how do I fit in? How do I, maybe, maybe if I can find the acceptance of others and I belong with friends, how are you going to do that? You're going to drink, you're going to do drugs, you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to pour your life into being accepted with people because we all have a deep longing to belong and to be loved and to be accepted in community and by God. He says when that wasn't enough, you just had to go deeper and deeper to stay in that place of acceptance. It's an enslavement. And then when it's career, it's, well, maybe I'll do really good at my job and people will think highly of me. And so it's an enslavement to career and enslavement to the approval of others. And it's this never-ending despair because it never satisfies and it's always fleeting. You can never be free to admit your failures because you've always got to show you've got it together. You never can feel the sense of security and comfort of God and peace with God so you're living in a constant undergirded anxiety and fear. That's what it is to be enslaved to idols, to be enslaved to fear, to be enslaved to the approval of others, to be enslaved to your career, to be enslaved to the law, to this world. You can even be enslaved like the Jews to religion. Always thinking, if I just memorize the word of God like that guy, maybe God would be satisfied with me. Or if I just went to church enough, or if I just went, if I'd gone on the mission trip with those guys to South Sudan, if I just gave enough money to the poor, if I just didn't look past that guy, if I just hadn't sinned, if I had just been good enough, maybe God would accept me and maybe these people would find me acceptable. And it's a terrible condition to find yourself in. And that person walks in here and says, I don't belong, I'm being judged. I don't like it here, but I should. And they're forced to either live it miserably or just be honest and say, this is baloney. That's not the gospel. The gospel is extravagant, ridiculous grace. While you were sinning and spitting in Jesus' face, he was dying for you. He says, come in here and die to self and pour extravagant grace on others because that's what I did for you. And he gives you the Spirit of God that transforms you and empowers you to do that. It's not about we all got our act cleaned up good enough that Jesus loves me. When you look at sinners out there, what do you think? Do you think, I wish they'd get their act together like I did Because that is not the gospel. Instead, we look out there and we say, I need to pour my life out. I need to extend extravagant grace at great cost to myself that they may be healed and brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And it starts in here. Pouring our lives out to each other that we might extend healing and grace to each other. 
And that supports our message as we go out. In verse 4, the good news of what he's done is, is, a, is described in a few key terms. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the key terms there are redemption. Redemption is being purchased out of slavery. He paid the price to redeem you from that slave master, that cruel taskmaster of the demons, Satan, demons, and the world around you that you are enslaved to, trying to find acceptance and worth, and value, and love. And then he not only redeemed you, but then he adopted you. He said, it's all yours, son. It's all yours, daughter. It's all yours. I paid the price. Christ absorbed my anger, my wrath. It's all gone. All I have for you is the estate. Enjoy it as a son. And so you'll enjoy it fully. I'm going to Pour my spirit into you. And you're going to call me dad. You know, some teachers like to talk about it as daddy, and I understand, but it's not an immature child saying daddy. It's a mature understanding that understands the respect and authority of father, but has been given permission to say dad. There's an intimate, loving Father-son, dad-son, dad-daughter relationship that Christ enables you to have through the Spirit of God. So it's not about religion. It's not about duty. It's not about woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's about, I love my dad. My dad loves me. And this is what we do. The question is, is that how you understand God? In verse 9 he says, But now that you have come to know God, I love this, or rather to be known by God, how could you turn your back again? Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. You know, there's a new star in our church family, Tyler Howard. He had a big game Thursday night, bird, destroyed airline. If you're from Bozier, I love you. And Tyler in the newspapers was called a hero. I said, that's awesome. But you know, if I'm honest, at the game, what I was kind of thinking was, everybody's going, look at Tyler. And like, everybody knows Tyler. But Tyler knows me. He's like a son. He's getting closer by the minute. (laughs) But you know... Seriously, there's a sense of everybody knows his name, but he knows me. I know David Toms. I know John David Booty. I know all Hal Sutton, Terry Bradshaw, but they don't know me at all. It's one thing to know God, but to be known by God, that's something different altogether. 
And he says, now you used to not even know God. And then you might have come to know God, but you know he didn't know you. There's something altogether different to say, God knows me. He's my dad. That's what Christ does for you. Now what does Paul do with all that? How in the world could you go back to slavery once you get that? God knows you. He loves you. He embraces you as his son. How could you go back to slavery? That's what he says in the verses 10 and 11. He says, or verse 9, he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. Why would anyone go back to enslavement after having enjoyed and tasted the the love of, of God? Why? Why would we do that? It's because we're getting something out of that that we're not getting from our relationship with the Lord. When we don't understand the gospel fully, then we miss some of the taste of the benefits of our relationship. And that's direct correlation. And when you don't find what you are designed to find in the Lord, you're going to go find it somewhere else, or you're going to try. The gospel is the foundation of everything in your life. It's the foundation of staying fulfilled in Christ. It's not something that you get and then you move on. It's where you live. It's the water you swim in. It's the lens you view everything through. It's the truth you preach to yourself every moment of every day. I am a sinner, undeserving of anything but the wrath of God. But because of Christ, God has poured all His wrath out on Jesus for me. And now He, con- he unconditionally and radically and extravagantly pours His love out on me and I don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it yesterday. I won't deserve it today. And I won't deserve it tomorrow. No matter what, I don't deserve it. And yet He loves me. Thank you, God. I know you, but I am so thankful that I am known by you because of Jesus Christ. And anytime you forget that, it's going to show up in some form of enslavement. You're going to look for satisfaction. You're going to look for love. You're going to look for acceptance. You're going to look for ego. You're going to look for pride. You're going to look for self-worth. You're going to look for something in someone else. And the only solution is go back to the gospel, preach it to yourself, get it right, and then go and pour your life out extravagantly loving others the way Christ has loved us. That's God's plan. There's no plan B. There's no more complicated plan. No three steps to a happier life. It's the gospel. One step. Stay in Jesus. So whether you are sitting as an individual thinking this is This is good. I'm going to believe this personally. Paul's saying to you, come on, man. Join the body. 
Yeah, it takes sacrifice, but it's God's plan and it's worth it. And we want you to join us. Or if you're there today and you're saying, man, I have slipped into slavery again. Paul's saying, you're a son. You're a son. Don't forget. You're an heir. Don't go back to that life. Let's pray together.